Get the scoop on Tigers today. Tigers SRD on SportsRadioDetroit.com. Welcome to the first 2020 edition of Tigers SRD, episode 303 on the Tiger Mind League Report Network. You can find us, of course, at SportsRadioDetroit.com. And we're part of the Overtime Media Network. I'm Roger Castillo alongside me, Chris Brown. iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia, Stitcher, and Google Play. By the way, everybody, thank you for downloading us on Spotify last year. We had a, we had a nice spike from the year prior, so everybody who follows us on Spotify, thank you. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Tigers SRD. We don't tweet there very much, but during the season we'll be a little more active. And of course, you can find you can follow the minor league report at Tigers MLB ML Report and a new Facebook page, Tigers Minor League Report. And uh, you can follow me at Rogcast eighty one. You can follow Chris at Chris Bound oh nine one four. So a few programming notes I want to announce too, and a couple of shoutouts. First and foremost. March owners will be back within a week here or so. I was talking to Chip a couple days ago, and he's got some got some really good guest lineup. So I'm not gonna say anything. I'm just gonna leave it at that. And he's out today at Swan Brewery. We want to give him a shout out to him and Frank, who are having a beer exchange, and give a fine shout out to the folks over there at Swan Brewery. They are Thanks. some good people. So if you're down in Lakeland, down that area, Chip sent me a sent me a picture earlier of them, and like it looked like there was like 80 degrees, and I was. I just kind of swore underneath my breath, but so it looked nice down there. And also, I will be, and there was a Mark Urosh's, it's not a rebuild, it's a team build. He insists on the spelling, he's really anal about it. So I made sure in the show notes I have it here. We'll be rolling out an episode sometime next week. I think he, he summoned you to, he summoned you to host. I guess you're not aware of that yet, but um, either way. No, he, he asked me. Uh... Okay. Yeah, he said if I didn't wouldn't mind being on there. Yeah, so I will try to steer steer things in that regard. Um, we'll see. You know, depending on what he wants to do. It. I'm I'm out of town for a few days, but it'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be fun. And I will be in Lakeland from March 24th to March to March 30th, as I'll be meeting nice. Chip down there and getting some um, kind of evaluation, getting better at player evaluation a little bit. Also, I'll be taking a couple days with my wife to go down to Disney World as our honeymoon if you will so that will be kind of oh, yeah. multiple oh you kill two birds one stone and i still have to get some approval from the tigers but it'll be mainly on the backfield to lakeland so nothing if we can get to the you know big part great if not i'm just hoping to get back there take some photos and take some videos and yeah no, yeah we want anybody can go to the the big park we want to see want to go back in the backfield and see see adenso reyes and jose de la cruz and See some of these youngsters back there. See what they're all about. Yeah, see some, or maybe a Roberto Campos signing would be cool. Yeah, I, I, you know, I suspect that they will keep him in the bunker. Yeah, for more years, he'll probably. Yeah, I don't know he might be there. I think he might be just staying in Dominican, but who knows? Maybe he's advanced enough that they'll bring him straight uh, stateside immediately. Seems unlikely, but uh, we'll find out. Yeah, we'll see here. I mean, I'm sure that there'll be a couple. A couple, maybe a couple pictures down there. We'll see. But uh, our, tonight our special guest will be Casey Bogoslaw. He's been right in barrels. He's been kind of like, he's currently a free agent right now. But the White Sox, who a couple hours ago signed Edward Encarnacion, continue to do really well in the offseason. And also to – I don't know. This is where I 
the White Sox haven't won any offseason. They're having a good offseason. We'll see if that translates well into 2020. As Eddie Bajak mentioned on Twitter, Philadelphia had a good offseason. Yes, I understand that how that works, Eddie. But, you know, we'll see. There's still baseball season, so no one's won anything yet. We'll see how this affects the total chemistry of the team. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they've uh, – we'll talk to Casey about this, obviously, but they've made a lot of moves, um, some of them better than others. Obviously, you know, the, the Grandal thing was kind of the, the sign that they were going to make a move, and then they traded from Mazzara, which might just be kind of negligible. But a lot of other uh, smaller signings – who did they sign? They signed Gio Gonzalez. Did they sign him? Yep, they signed – Another Gio, pitcher. Yeah. Who's, who's the other pitcher uh, they got? Steve uh, Kishik. Uh, Seashack, but yeah. I thought they did they trade or stuff? Dallas, Ke- starter, the, the, the Dallas Keuchel, they trade Keuchel, yeah, yeah Keuchel, okay. they signed him, and then they traded for uh, um, Nomar Marzia, yeah, Mazzara, yeah, Mazzara, yeah. Be, you know, he he hasn't been that great, but he's still young, and, and who knows? And it's yeah, it's one of those things where like you could even easily see none of these moves working out. It's not like they went out and I mean, Grandal's a great player, but it's not like they went out and got a ton of studs, but. Uh, it's just nice to see teams making moves. I think, yeah, like in in by and large, this off season has been really fun for them in, in baseball. We just saw uh, out of the out of the blue today, a top fifty prospect got traded, um, and that was yeah. It, it's been a kind of a fun off season. Yeah, so they the Cardinals and Rays made a trade today. The Cardinals trade Jose Martinez, Randy Alozera. Uh, Rosarena. Yeah, Rosarena. The uh, Cuban outfielder and a competitive balance round a draft pick 30th overall to the Cardinals. And the Cardinals get left-handed pitching prospect Matthew Libator. Is that correct? Yep. Edward or Erago, Erago Rodriguez and a competitive round B draft pick. Which, by the way, round B, is it just essentially first round, second round? What they mean by that, Chris, just for clarification? So competitive balance uh, round A is after the first round, uh, and, and B is after the second round, I believe. So uh, and there, it, they may be after also some compensation picks there too. But, yeah, you're basically – they're basically trading – I think you said 30th. They're, they're trading a pick in like the 70s for a pick in like the 30s, which is – you know that that's a back end of the first round type of pick. There should, should get decent value there, and it will – at the very least will add like – like a million five to their bonus pool. I haven't, uh, I don't have the <laughs> slot bonuses memorized, but I think that's about what you would expect for the 30th pick. Let me take a look. Um, yeah, it, it was just kind of out of nowhere. Um, and, and it was somewhat odd to me just because, you know, heading into the, uh, the off season, we knew that the Rays were one of the teams that really needed to make some moves because their, their 40 man was so crowded and they've done that. And then they went and signed that, uh, that uh, I don't know, forgot his name, but his outfielder, I believe. Oh no, the first baseman. The ja- uh, who was the, the slugger? The Japanese one. The Japanese the, slugger. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they made some moves there, and here they go trade a a, a guy who is not on their forty man in the low minors for two guys who are in the forty man. So it'll be interesting to see what they do there. But uh, yeah, it, it just uh, and I had my irresponsible speculation on that. I don't know if you want me to save it. Yeah, or I can no, say go, it right now. Yeah, go for it. So. Well, think of the Libertor, um, in, in early in that 2018 draft process, he was a guy I really liked. He was a, a lefty who really knew, you know, lefty, big projection. He's like 6'5", 6'6". was mostly in the low 90s during the showcase circuit, but he really knew how to pitch, had a couple breaking balls, a change up. And then uh, during the 
the spring, the lead up to the draft, he, there were rumors of him popping like 97 in, <laughs> in bullpens. I was like, all right, now this is legit. And, and sure enough, at the end of the whole process, uh, Baseball America had him ranked as the number two player in the class overall behind Casey Mize. And MLB had him number four, I think, behind like uh, Mize and Madrigal and uh, I don't know who else. But so he was he was very highly regarded. And yet he lasted until I think the 19th pick in the draft. And uh, there were some questions about why that went to happen. You know, there, it, there's always a little bit of risk in high school pitchers anyway. Uh, that's just kind of the way the draft is going. Teams seem to be shying away. But that was kind of a precipitous fall. So you immediately think, like, is there makeup issues? But I was uh, – so 2018 I was at the Midwest League All-Star game. And this, that was like, I don't know, a week, two weeks after the draft. And I was on the field watching BP. And, and there was an agent there. And we were talking. And he was asking me what I thought of my eyes. And then it came – the subject came up with, with Libertor, like why he fell. And he said that Libertor's agent really boned it. Like he, he was putting out sky high bonus demands without the leverage of another team willing to give him that money. So I think that like the thought, I thought that the common sense was that he was going to go to the Padres at like eight or seven. But yeah, he, he was like, no, we need like 5 million and nobody else was offering him that. So Everybody else just kind of moved on. And so the Rays, who had a lot of money, eventually took him. I think it was 19th for, for what amounted to the slot value, I think $3.5 million or something like that. But here's my irresponsible speculation, is that, is that maybe the Rays never were terribly enamored with him anyway. Like, I'm sure they, they evaluated him and, and, and liked him a fair amount. But they just took him because it was such a good value at that point. And so to them... Uh, and I'm not saying that they're not smart enough to like rec- recognize what kind of good player they have or whatever like that. But to them, maybe he was just a little bit extra viewed as an asset. You know, you know, we always talk about how prospects are currency to help you get other stuff. Just wonder if maybe they kind of viewed him like that just from the beginning, you know, as an idea like, well, this is just too much of a bargain to pass up. We're going to take this kid. And, and, you know, when we get a chance, we'll move him. And that's just like I said, it's my irresponsible speculation based on a rumor I heard from an agent. So. Take uh, make of it what you will. He's a good prospect. Uh, I like him. I'm excited to see what he can do. Yeah, and, but, and go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, but but the uh, on the outside, it looked kind of like an underwhelming return for a top 50 pitching prospect. But it is what it is. Yoshi, the race by the way, it was, it was Yoshi Tatsugo. That, yeah, Tutugo. Yeah, yeah, that's who that they signed by the way, who can play left field, third base, and first base. And no, Chris, that's, I mean that's in terms of like a irresponsible speculation. That's a well structured one out. And Martinez's numbers have declined a little bit in the last season or so for the Cardinals, but I, I still think that the, it's still an upside for them because he 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 still has possesses power and that definitely the Cardinals definitely kind of another power bat out there, and with the Cuban outfielder too has got a really good arm, really good sprint. He was one of the fastest sprinters out there too. Something on my son. Yeah, and so he's got some quickness out there. He's got a gun. And that just gives the Rays an opportunity to stack their outfield a little bit because they did lack a little bit of outfield depth outside. Yeah, they've got like they feel like fifteen infielders and three outfielders on the forty man, I think. Yeah, yeah, I know they were putting about putting Yang, or Yanni Diaz out there too, like maybe in right or something like that. But no, this gives this yeah. gives the Rays a little more depth. Yeah, and, and, and the only reason I say it feels a little underwhelming is, is just, I mean, they very well may get 
I don't know how many more years Martinez has, but I think Rosarena was just like a rookie last year. So they're, they're going to get like five, six years out of him and three or four years from Martinez. I don't know, maybe two. They're getting a bunch of, of years of possibly, you know, average to slightly above average major league player, which is a, a really good, you know, that, that helps. If you, the more a- average or better players you have in the team, the, you're, you're going to be pretty damn good. And so if you're just trading a, a high school pitcher from low A ball to get some major league talent, that's that's good in a vacuum. It's just one of those things where the names themselves aren't terribly sexy. Like, you know, it's all the the speculation of like the Matt Boyd trade. You know, you want the sexy prospects and then people when you're trading a sexy prospect, you want a sexy MLB name. And it just doesn't really work out like that. Yeah. And, and for the Cardinals, too, I mean, we look at the Cardinals situation in terms of what they have for starters last year, their war, I mean, what kind of hurt them a little bit in their playoff, in terms of even like a playoff push last year, is they only got a 15.9 war out of their, their entire staff. They had so many injuries to the staff last year, and, and you look at, I mean, Jack Flattery, and the, the big the, the guys that really kind of helped them out a little bit were Miles Mokalis or... Mikolas, yeah. yeah. Miles Mikolas, I think he or Michaelis, I think he, he had kind of a down year from last year. Yeah. And Flaherty, Flaherty looked, you know, he had one of those historic second half of the season or something like that. I thought his, his second half ERA was like the second lowest ever behind Arietta a couple of years ago. Yeah, he almost had a, he almost had a Fangrass war almost five. I mean, it was like or just yeah. over four. And then the likes of Dakota Hudson, you're not sure what you're going to get from him. And Adam Wainwright, as he gets older, but yeah, then they, the, they brought him back, I think, but. Yeah, I mean, and then Reyes was got got down, and then was it Carlos Marcia, Martinez was out because, he, and then they put him on the bullpen, didn't they? Went, yeah, he was the bullpen. Closer. Yeah, they've had uh, they haven't had a ton of success with the homegrown pitching in the last few years, and even when they did, it was like Michael Waka had, I think, one a fairly good year, and then kind of was average ish after that. But yeah, it's, I mean, Libertor is not going to help them in that regard just yet. But they do need they. I can't think. I think you mentioned uh, the Thompson kid from Kentucky, who was another lefty, I believe. Yeah. So I can't think of any other. I'm not, you know, super well versed with their system, but yeah, they need some arms. They, they've got a couple really interesting bats, and Nolan Gorman, who coincidentally is like uh, best friends with Matthew Libertor. They're both from Arizona. I remember watching them play each other online, a high school game online, and then they. I don't know if Gorman was at the NHSI or not, but Libertor was. But yeah, so that's kind of cool. They're going to be hanging out together, and then Dylan Carlson, who we talked about a little bit last year, is a kind of up and comer. So I don't know it, it it makes some sense for the Cardinals. They they were kind of those the players they traded were kind of supplementary to, uh, to them. Yeah, and and the Cardinals too. I mean, you look at their offense and why they're able to, and they're going to try to make. And the, the reason why too this this could be the case, and they're making room for Ozuna, who said I think it was earlier mm-hmm. in the week that. He wants to come back to St. Louis, and originally, I mean, we said this when we had we had Mike Bauer on from the Cardinals Overtime mm-hmm. Podcast, and there was talk then that he might come back, and then you heard something. I think it was October, November. He was seeking other options, but as the options seemed to win, though, it makes perfect sense for him to come back. And he had a good familiar. He's had a good track record in St. Louis his time there. So trading these guys just allows for a little more room to happen. Yeah, you know, it gives him a little bit more, uh, like you said, gives him a little more room to play with. So let me look at this. Oh, okay. So I'm looking the competitive balance round uh, picks last year range between uh, 2.1 million and 1.9 million. So just to 
just to circle back to that, that's that you're adding that to the bonus pool. So that's that's another feather in the raise cap. Uh, really something they can use in the draft coming up. Yeah. So speaking of drafts, by the way, the 2020 baseball pr- prospectus lists out their their top podcast is out. Top podcast. Wow. Top prospects list is out, and they are some of the name of their top ten goes as follows. By the way, if you want to get the subscription, you can go to baseballprospectus.com. And we're not going to pick it apart too much. There's a couple names I really want to go over real quick with Chris. As our list, by the way, our top 50, we started working on it. We started having the preliminary discussions on our top 20 at least. So I gave Chip a couple of mine, and I'm sure Chris and some other people are going to chip in on that too. But the top 10 goes Casey Mize, Matt Manning, Riley Green, Tarek Skubal, Joey Wentz, Isaac Paredes, Alex Fado, Daz Cameron, Bo Burrows, and Parker Meadows is their top 10. And then the names underneath there a little bit. Not to, like I said, I'm not going to dive too deep. If you want to get to the list, I would say pay the pay the firewall, go behind the paywall, and it's pretty good. The next top ten after that was Jake Rogers, uh, Winkiel Hernandez coming in at number twelve, which took you know uh, Logan Herna- uh, Logan Shore at number thirteen, Kyle Fulgars number fourteen, Franklin Perez fifteen, Paul Richin, who they got from Richin from the Cubs trade, sixteen, Nick Quintana number seventeen, Derek Hill. Jose Alcacar and Anthony Castro round up the top twenty. So, some interesting names that come in there, Chris. I mean, in terms of even Logan Shore being as high as thirteen, which I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that that uh, that struck me as odd, considering he was, you know, moved to the bullpen, and he's like none of his statistical markers suggest a future in the majors, but. Um, you know they're basing it on scouting reports and stuff like that, and they like, they think he's got, uh, you know, decent command of a, a you know, fringe average fastball and a solid changeup. But I don't know it's just a mix that I don't particularly like. But you know, lists are lists, right? And they they go through and they give their reasons. I mean, that's the reason to get it. They they, they give their scouting reasons and talk about the variance of these various players to see you know what were the odds of them panning out. And uh, you know, it's the first uh, first of the the sort of, sort of well, I think Baseball America may have already done their Tigers top ten a while back. They did, and so did so another top list, a couple lists out there. Bless you boys did their prospect list. Front of the show, Keen also has a he I did top fifty, I believe. yeah, top fifty list, which kind of surprised me a little because I didn't I didn't know he was going to do one, but he did a pretty good job of and, his. And Dave Eddy did his, he has, yeah, his David Eddy, yeah, prospects fifteen hundred. So there's a lot of lists out there. Ours is going to take a little time as we're getting the it's better. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's better. Uh, no, no, we're not just being. We're not arrogant. But there's all these lists out there, all subjective, and take what you will out of it. But uh, either way, I, I know we saw a lot of minor league baseball last year between the TV and going out to some of the games. So it is. And, and what they said about Nick Quintana is, I, and you, I, you remember me saying this too that he looked gassed out there at West Michigan. So it could be the case that he's just a little bit fatigued. So. Yeah, I mean, I know that there are. I know that. Uh... And there's some people who really hated that pick. Um, and, and, you know, when you're making a list, the guys, it's one of those things, you get kind of a free pass, the first, uh, your first taste of pro ball after you get drafted, for the most part. Some guys come out and they, and they just they struggle like crazy and then they're fine. And some guys, it's a, a bad sign of what's, what's to come. So it, you just kind of rank, 
and kind of throw it out and rank based on their their draft pedigree and their prospect profile and stuff like that. And Quintana still has what made him uh, intriguing to the Tigers. It's just it didn't seem to translate to pro ball at all last year. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be plenty of time to make a, a clear assessment. And there's so many guys right now beyond the top ten that it's just currently kind of really subjective, too. So that that's what makes it difficult, too. It was an interesting thing that I did not know about, too, that about Roberto Compost comes in there, and he was training with former Tiger Alex Sanchez in the yeah. Dominican. I did not know that. New to me here. And he's been where he should be ranked, and I don't know, where are you going to put him? So that's still, it's still very it, early, too. It is really hard to rank anybody uh, that hasn't been seen in real competitive action, basically, like in real professional baseball. <laughs> it's like, hey, yeah. We're based on scouting reports, based on scouting reports, based on scouting reports. It's kind of you throw your hands up and trust the Tigers, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I, mean, I guess if you're going to throw somebody out there, uh, you might as well throw the guy that they just gave a close to $3 million deal to. Yeah, I mean, and they, they, they could have they been scouting him since he was 13 when he was originally – Playing stateside. I mean, there was that. I had a link. I sent now the link. Yeah. Mysteri- now that link's mysteriously gone too. I want to go oh, look really? for, yeah, yeah, like the ESPN article. About not the, that. Not the, yeah, the, there was another one that was a local one that had him doing like batting practice. Oh yeah, I remember yeah, that. yeah. I think it was an Orlando Sentinel or something like that. Now I can't find it, but uh, so we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna bring Casey on, talk a little bit of White Sox baseball, talk some Jeopardy, the greatest goat. Have you watched uh, the championships at all? I watched uh, a little bit of it briefly yesterday, but I, you know, I've my taste for Jeopardy has gone away in the last few years for for whatever reason. I don't know. Uh, so I haven't. I didn't follow. Who, I, how many nights were they doing it? They did it for two nights, and then I think they're doing the next two next week. I believe it is. Oh, wow, I didn't realize they were doing so many. Yeah, they're doing. So nice. it was the best out of. I think it's best out of three. I want to say maybe I'll have to talk to yeah. Casey about that because. I watched him. Okay, he's a big Jeopardy guy. Yeah, you know he's a huge. We're talking some smack about that yesterday. So he is Team James, and James is almost. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get into it a little bit. So you're listening to Tigers SRD on the Tiger Minor League Report Network. We'll be back after the break. You're a philosopher. Yes, I think very deeply. In about four seconds, the teacher will begin to speak. How many MCs must get this? Right, welcome back to Tiger's SRD here on Tiger Money League Report Network. Joining us for, it seems like a January tradition, I want to say, usually January or early February now for the last couple seasons, is Casey Boslaw, big White Sox guy, barrel guy, just a mathematician, as I found out beforehand. He has a math degree from the University of Illinois, which I did not know till this evening, but we'll get on the reference behind it a little later. Casey, welcome back, man. How you doing? Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing I'm doing very well. It's been a, a very nice off season for for us White Sox fans. So I'm excited to get on and talk with you guys uh, and, and field your questions because uh, I am all excitement. You mentioned me coming on the last couple uh, the winters, and I certainly was nowhere near this level of happiness about about the upcoming White Sox season. So I am I'm more ready than ever to to be on your show today. Yeah, we, 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 I mean, the last time we talked, we talked a lot more about Illinois basketball than the White Sox. And and the, the football season-wise, I mean, Lovey Smith getting the, the the Illinois to a bowl game in a 
unfortunately, I believe they lost. But still, it's been a good beard. It's a good year. The beard, the beard had a good year. They, I saw your excitement when they beat Wisconsin, and I mean, it's for it's all it's all good things for the orange. So, or uh, with the was it what's the proper colors? I'm sure there's a proper name for the colors down there. I can't think of it right now. No, just just orange and blue. Okay, yeah, not, not, nothing fancy. Solid, solid. Uh, you know, uniform colors, orange and blue. Yeah, you don't have to tart it up and call it scarlet or maize. Nope. <laughs> yeah, or maize exactly. Yeah. So, the arrogance of those two teams. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, but uh, so yeah, the, yeah, you've had a really the White the White Sox have had a really busy offseason going over some of the signings here. So they they signed Alex Keuchel, the big one that they literally came out first first team. They came out with a free agent signing. They signed uh, Yasmiel uh, Grande or I can't even say his name right. Um, Yasmiel Grandal. Yeah, thank you, Grandal. Thank you. Edward Encarnacion was signed today. Gio Gonzalez. They. The extension for Jose Abreu, which made perfect sense, and then the trade for Noma, I would say Noma, uh, Nomar, Mazera, and it's just it seems like even there's been a lot of quietness in the, the south, in the north side too. The Cubs haven't really done anything, but you see, it seems like nothing. Like it's they're they're pleading broke, which cracks me up to no end. But anyways, um, the White Sox and the Twins have had a really good offseason. But you talk about a team here that. Needed to start pitching really bad. We talked about this last year with the, the fourth and fifth spot in the rotation seeming to lack punch. And you only get last year a team really offensively held its own. I mean, 24.7 fan graph war in terms of from a batter standpoint. Pitching-wise, it was 13.2 in a bullpen that was kind of the they made some They made some signings last year. It just didn't seem to be panned out. But either way, what do you think? Let's start with the pitching Let's in terms of how they address the uh, rotation with Keuchel. And their bullpen. Sure, yeah, you know, uh, I think I my biggest wish headed in the, into the offseason was that the White Sox would get uh, two solid, you know, guys that have been around the block to 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 slate right in that rotation. You know, even if it's two three behind uh, Giolito after his great season last year, and then you can kind of let Michael Kopech just you know come back gradually. Uh, he should be ready for opening day, but I, still, I, I wanted, I wanted, uh, you know, inning eater guys, you know, veteran guys, guys that the, 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 the you know, it's a very young rotation uh, that they could not only like, you know, lean on for their experience, but also, you know, my big thing that I was always sticking with is like get those guys that you know can get you six, seven innings every single time out. So when you're when your young guys go through their growing pain stretches of you know when they have a clunker, a, a two, a two and a third outing. You know, you can still count on the on the guy coming out the next day and saving the bullpen and giving you a, you know six strong. So, yeah, Dallas Keuchel, you know, it, he's very, I'd say, you know, from a white size background, it seems very Mark Burley, you know, esque. Uh, you know, a, a solid veteran guy, uh, isn't a huge strikeout guy or anything, but you know, is going to keep the ball, uh, you know, in the field. You know, he's he's a big ground ball guy. And then they got Gio Gonzalez as well for for his third stint for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, this is his third uh, time as a member of the White Sox. Uh, you know, obviously just another veteran guy, another ground ball guy. So it's clearly, you know, it made a lot of sense uh, what they targeted. And then to go along with that, you mentioned Yasmani Grandal, one of the best framers in all of baseball. Both Keuchel and Gonzalez are guys that like to, you know, uh, you know, sprinkle around that strike zone. They don't like to throw a lot of strikes. So. When they are around the margins, what's you know going to be that type of pitcher's best friend is is a catcher that's going to to win them a lot of strikes. So that match makes a lot of sense. So really, I love what Han did as far as like everything, 
you know, looking when you look back at it after it was done, like all the puzzle pieces made sense. They all came together and you just kind of saw this image of, okay, clearly he had a plan going into this offseason and it has hit over and over again. And, and uh, you know, I'll take a break here for, for you guys to pitch in. But, you know, that that's what I, I have loved about, you know, where that, I guess, the offseason started there. It was that they they took care of a bunch of stuff right at the beginning with Grandal, and then, you know, it was a, a while, you know, the, the big the big fish uh, fell with Cole and Strasburg, and White Sox Twitter Nation was getting a little antsy because they were wondering, you know, when is when's the White Sox time to strike? But then they, you know, they bought their time, and they got two solid guys to, to put in that rotation in Keiko and Gonzalez. And, and one other thing they did, uh, which may not necessarily help them win a lot more, but it'll make for a lot more excitement, is uh, they, they signed Luis Robert, or Robert, Robert uh, to that extension so they don't have to play any sort of service time game. So if he comes out and has a hot spring training, that might be your starting center fielder, which would be super fun, I would think. Yeah, uh, I probably mentioned this when I was on last year with you guys, but Robert has been the guy in the White Sox rebuild who has brought me my most excitement and the guy that I've just kind of – uh, you know, pin myself to just because I, I just have dreams of just the, this five this five tool, you know, annual all star that is just going to be great on, on every aspect of the game. He has got blazing speed. Uh, so, yeah, I do expect him to be the open day center fielder and just cover a whole bunch of ground. We don't really have to mention who's in the corners right be, you know, beside him in the outfield, but but they aren't great defenders and Eloy and, and Mazzaro likely. Um, so Robert's going to have to cover a whole bunch of ground. Thankfully, he can, though. And then, yeah, he hits massive bombs. You know, he totally tore up AAA last season. There was really no there was no good excuse to keep him down uh, for, for the beginning of the 2020 season except the whole service time argument. And, and for the second year in a row, because yeah. last year they did this with Eloy, um, you know, the, the White House got it done by, by giving, an, uh, you know, a guy that hasn't played a, a single MLB inning uh, uh, a ton of money in, in, you know, in all, uh, you know, in relative, everything being relative, but a, a ton of money for these guys that haven't stepped onto a major league baseball field. But still, you kind of just avoid that whole, you know, I- I- issue of, yeah, teams are kind of forced to do it almost because the rules just kind of are, you know, so silly. But uh, the White Sox have at least found a way to, to get around those rules and, and make their fan base happy. And was there anything, you know, they made so many moves. Was there any other area, like glaring area, glaring areas of need? I couldn't talk for a second. Or anything you'd like to see them do now? Uh, you know, bullpen was the, the last piece, but they signed C-Sheck uh, a couple days ago here. So that made a lot of sense. Another veteran guy. Again, you know, the narrative really is very clear when you look at it from the outside. You know, they just wanted another guy. You know, Colin May is going to be the ninth inning guy. Uh, Aaron Bummer was fantastic in whatever role they they had him in. He's more of a fireman, going to get them out of a, a big jam. So C-Shack's going to fit into a nice seventh or eighth inning role. Um, you know, it's a really good piece. So they could they could probably, I mean, it's possible that they could go out and find another free agent reliever, but they're, they have pretty much, you know, a, a lot of their 40 man, the back end of the 40 man, and then a lot of their prospects right now are these kind of borderline relief pitcher guys. So, I think spring training is going to be where they're going to weed a lot of that out. So I don't expect them to sign another guy. Uh, second base is really the only question mark right now because Nick Madrigal is obviously the second baseman of the future as we stand. Um, but he did get, get up to AAA last season. Now it's kind of a little bit the same argument as far as with service time with him. But 
there is, you know, a better argument, at least that there was with Robert, that Madrigal needs a little bit more time uh, of seasoning in the minors. He was only drafted in in, in 18, so um, certainly could, you know, use a little bit more time, uh, you know, just seeing AAA pitching. But, uh, you know, what do they do till then? I mean, Lurie Garcia, I, I think right now would be slated as the the opening day second baseman, um, who's fine. You know, he, he's a, a decent role player. I mean, if you're looking at a, a obviously a division contender is what, what the hope is, and maybe even beyond that, you know, Larry Garcia is not going to be a second baseman on that type of roster, but can he hold ground until Madrigal is ready? Absolutely. But could they go out and get, you know, Brian Dozier is a guy that I've kind of had an eye on. Brad Miller is somebody that I, I've heard mentioned as well. Could they go out and just get a guy on a one-year deal that makes a lot of sense to just give Madrigal even a little bit more time? Uh, yeah, sure, why not? Um, you know, their payroll is still pretty low because they have so many guys that haven't even hit arbitration yet. And we mentioned, you know, the Eloy and, and Robert deals. Yeah, they, they don't have to do arbitration, but those aren't really hefty deals as well. So the payroll is still relatively low, and they can go out and get somebody else. But there aren't, you know, glaring holes right now headed in, you know, already looking at opening day. Well, somebody like along the lines, too, I know that he hasn't made his mind up about perhaps Ben Zobrist, who can play all over. He does have a home in Chicago, and if the Cubs are not going to resign him, I know that one of our guys over at Motor City Bengals was talking about the, him being a veteran bat for the Tigers to sign, but yeah. for, for the White Sox, I think it makes sense if he decides to play because there's no word whether he's going to play or not next year, but... One sign I did like today that will improve the White Sox for sure in terms of a DH position, Edward Encarnacion. Last year, the White Sox had a combined 17 home runs from designated hitters in 2019. So more than the Tigers. I mean, the Tigers didn't really... Maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe, maybe the Tigers actually beat them in that category, Chris, if I, if I, if I think about it. Well, I mean, who was their, their DH would have been uh, Miggy most of the time. Yeah, Miggy. What? Yeah. Let's see. They had... and then 11 they, home runs? Yeah, and then what, Nixon played DH or... Bad at DH. By the way, who the speaking of Brandon Nixon, he cleared waivers and is going to head back to Toledo. Just as a heads up out there, yeah. Um, which you know he led the team in homers and yeah, whatever it doesn't matter. But uh, anywho, but that's a good sign in there, and, and it's a veteran bat to help a really kind of a younger lineup too. And the other signing too that I really liked from a standpoint from an uh, from an offensive or excuse me from a uh, uh, we talked about the, the the bullpen too is I mean. If you with Keyshack there to the, hold it down, the question is then is somebody along the lines of like a fourth or fifth starter type out there. We, 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 I'm a big fan of this signing, I or this this name out there, and it's the uh, Walker from Arizona who is just coming back from Tommy John. If the Tigers don't make a play for him, I can see the White Sox going putting him in the fifth spot in that rotation. Him coming back, maybe getting 120, 150 innings out there and holding it down for him. Yeah, I could see the possibility of them bringing in some guy. I, I mean, I don't. I think Taiwan Walker would probably be a little bit better than a guy just on a minor league deal. So I, it, that's kind of where I, I think the White Sox would be aiming. Just guys to bring in spring training, see you know where yeah all the pieces might fall. You know what kind of injuries they'd run into. At, at, you know, upcoming to the season. Um, you know, like I mentioned, Kopech is still kind of, you know on his way up. Uh, Rodon will start the season on the on the IL as well because he had Tommy John in like June ish, so he won't be back till like mid season. Um, it's possible. It's it, it's possible. Uh, you know they are six man deep right now if you include Kopech in the rotation. Um, so obviously that's a it's a good scenario that that to have, and, and it's a, the scenario that I 
pictured uh, for the White Sox setting in opening day. Um, you know, obviously, knock on wood that everyone stays healthy. But, you know, they're at the point where, you know, it could be, and this is, again, a good thing that, you know, maybe a Ronaldo Lopez or I would say probably Lopez more than a Dylan Cease is kind of just your long man in the bullpen to start the season, especially because you don't, you barely even need a five man rotation at the beginning of the season with all the off days. So, no, it'll be interesting. But, you know, if if a guy like that wants to come in and, and win a role, you know, it's certainly there, especially because of, uh, you know, the up and downs of a Ronaldo Lopez. And, and I'm curious just to, just to pique my interest is I assume everybody's expecting a little bit of regression uh, from Moncada and Tim Anderson next year based on their ridiculous bad bips. Yeah. Yep. I'm wondering if <laughs> I, I don't know how much, you know, you never know how much that's going to fall and, and Obviously, Moncada hits the ball really hard, and I don't know if Anderson's up there in exit velo, but just kind of curious if if it's one of those things where I wonder if the White Sox may have been lulled into a false sense of competitiveness based on a lot of luck, but uh, they do really, it does seem like things are coming together for them no matter what, so I don't know. It was just something I felt like mentioning, those guys and their yeah. luck last year. You know, Anderson had a very streaky season. Uh, you know, he he came out totally gangbusters, was awesome in April. That's when all the bat flips were happening. That's when he got in the, you know, fun stuff with Brad Keller on the Royals. And then he, he got into a little bit of a lull. Then he got hurt. And a lot of people were thinking, okay, you know, April was you know, a nice flash in the pan. We kind of got to see his ceiling. And then, I mean, August and September, he was phenomenal i mean he he obviously came all the way back and not only qualified but you know uh took over the the batting average lead you mentioned yeah that was buoyed by a very 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 high babbit but he's he's not really a power hitter he's a contact he's kind of a slappy hitter i mean he can hit the home run but he's also incredibly fast so he's gonna lay out a bunch of base hits now you know yeah i would say among white Sox twitter tim anderson probably uh, is the player from last year that brings the most question marks on kind of if we should expect uh, a little bit of a regression. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it's it, 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 he, it's kind of up in the air because the dude has a lot of talent. And like I mentioned, the speed could keep that bad way up. Um, you know, I, I, the defense is another concern with him. I, I, I actually wanted to go back to when I said there is no really like glaring holes in the team. It is a, a very weak defensive team. Um, you know, I mentioned Robert's going to have to play, you know, all of the outfield basically, but the infield's not great either. And with with the Keuchel and Gio Gonzalez who put the ball on the ground a lot, you know, Anderson's going to be asked a lot to to you know obviously be the the linchpin of that infield defense. He makes a ton of errors. I believe he led the American League or maybe even all of baseball in errors last season. Um, so you know, he's going to be asked for a lot. And you know, what's great about making the lineup so deep as what they've done is. You know, Anderson might be batting like seventh in this lineup. And, you know, the reigning batting title, the reigning batting champion batting seventh in your lineup is obviously a great thing to have. Um, It brings me back to those days. You know, was it Bill Miller on the Red Sox back in the early 2000s? He was a batting champion and he was like eighth on that team. I mean, that's, you know, obviously I'm I'm putting my hopes up really high to compare my, the the 2020 White Sox to the 2004 Red Sox. But, um, you know, there, there's a lot of of depth in this lineup, and, which is a lot different than last year. So Anderson's not going to be asked to do a ton, which, you know, obviously lowers his pressure. And, uh, you know, I don't think he has to be, you know, pushing himself too much. So 
Uh, I'm still I'm still optimistic about Anderson. And then Makata, yeah, I'll be brief on him. Uh, I, I expect him to even go the next step. I I I I've I, you know Makata's love is very close to my my level of Robert Love, and I I think he could push. You know, he got MVP votes last year. I expect more more of the same this year. Uh, I think he's going to keep taking a, 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 the next step up. He's even mentioned he wants to stay healthy. He wants to play 162. He got a couple hamstring injuries last year. That's been his goal this offseason on getting trained. So if he's playing 162 games, I fully expect him to be in the MVP conversation. In terms of even some of the, the arms on the bullpen last year, something along the lines of uh, <clears throat> Evan Marshall, and, and one of the guys at least that was coming out there did, did not put a gas can out there for games what bullpen arm do you expect the white for somebody for, uh, for Chicago to step up next year that can show some improvement? Marshall's numbers were were okay, but it just seemed like it, the White Sox tried every single thing they could do. I mean, they threw out there quite a, every single pitching combination out there, and nothing seemed to be effective. Alex uh, outside of Alex Comey, uh, um, it just seemed like it was just a hodgepodge match. But there's is there anybody right now that even can come up from the system that could get some time come spring training? So Zach Zach Birdie is probably the biggest name to keep an eye on because he was a se- he's a former second round pick, uh, you know, throws a hundred plus. Uh, had Tommy John, he is, I believe, he's going to be fully ready for spring training. Um, you know, that was the closer of the future. Obviously, when you draft a primary relief pitcher, you're expecting, you know, cl- uh, a ceiling of a closer, and that's what Zach Birdie was selected as. And the White Sox still have hope on him. You know, the, he's had a bunch of injuries actually since getting drafted in 17, I believe. Um, so, you know, he they haven't seen much of him, but he's on the 40 man now. Um, you know, they, he'll be on the, the big club in 2020 at some point. Um, Jace Fry is a name that I want to mention as far as like he kind of had a rough season just you know he had a pretty good 2018 and then in 19 he just lost all control um you know his walk percentage was above 18 percent which obviously is a, a nightmare um but he's he's really good i mean he's a, he's more than a loogie he he can get both guys out uh you know both sides of the plate and then you know aaron bummer is like i mentioned uh, i mentioned before he's the he's the fireman uh you know he's not a huge strikeout guy which is usually what you see with you know the andrew miller um you know josh Hader types so he's not quite that but he his contact uh you know uh the amount of contact that he allows, the strength of contact is just so low. He just nobody ever barrels the ball up on this guy, and you know if he can continue that in 2020, uh, he's going to be the guy that you know, like I mentioned, he's going to be getting the White Sox out of jams. The the thing about the 2019 White Sox that you mentioned with the bullpen is, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of close games. Basically, if 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 they were losing the game, they were getting blown out. And so when they did win, it was usually, you know, only by a couple runs, but it just was kind of few and far between. But, uh, you know, when Colome got those safe opportunities, he locked it down and he didn't have great peripherals, but he, I think he only had one blown save last season. I'm trying to remember that off the top of my head, but it was just weird because his, and as a stat guy, <laughs> his peripherals scared the crap out of me, but. Every ninth inning, it, you know, didn't matter what the lead was, one to three runs, he'd go out there and get the job done. So I, I hope he can do the same again. They obviously didn't move him at the deadline or over the offseason because they fully expect him to be the guy again. Yeah, and I remember that. I was trying to think of the the name of the hard thrown reliever they picked up, but it looks like they it was Tehran Guerrero. It looked like they dropped him. Yes, they uh, did. Yeah, shortly thereafter. But you know, you brought up uh, you brought up the the defense of the team. 
which I thought would be a good segue for us to, to go into uh, StatCast's new infield yeah. outs above average. I know that you know we've had lots of conversations about StatCast with you. You're a big StatCast guy. You're a big Barrels guy, Mr. Barrel. Uh, so I was wondering if you got a chance to dig in and look at the White Sox and, and take a look at that. Not a ton. Um, you know, I, I I looked at it briefly. I just haven't had much enough time. And, you know, not, not nothing was too surprising to me. Like, Makata had a pretty good year. Anderson, not so much. And, uh, you know, Yolmer was the gold glove winner at second base. But he's at least unlikely to come back. They did non-tender him. Um, that is a possible spot. You know, they have one spot in the roster left that they could fill. Um but now this, you know, the the rotation was full of fly ball guys last season, and now they're ground ball guys. So that infield defense is going to be, uh, you know, uh, somewhere that I go looking very, very often during the season because it's got to be a lot better. Anderson needs to make, you know, he can make the heart, you know, the difficult play, and he screws up the easy play. And there's going to be a lot of easy plays that he's going to be counted on to do. So he needs to be a, a lot better at defense. For this team to really succeed, um, because you know that 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 was the goal of, of Han bringing in these ground ball guys. Is I think he had a lot of faith in, in Anderson, and then Madrigal is a, you know brings a lot of defensive prowess. So when he comes up, I, I do uh, have a lot of confidence in him. But we'll see what, who's going to cover the gap until he gets up. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, Tom Tango, one of the guys uh, behind this that cast, he was talking about the value of guys who make the routine plays, how how important it is, and that's one of the things. Uh, you know, with the, the, the new site, the sliders, you can set the sliders to see like, uh, you know, plays that have a 90% chance of being made and so forth. And you can see how many outs above average, uh, that the infielders are at every increment, which is pretty cool. And for anybody who hasn't checked it out, I guess this, this was kind of like the last, I don't want to say a last big stat cast thing, but it's something that's been, we've been waiting for for years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they did the outfield defense a couple of years ago and that's been fun and, you know, and. I don't even know if they still do. I remember they used to do the four-star, five-star, three-star catches. It's probably still buried in there, but they don't make a big deal about that anymore. But, you know, the barrels and the uh, sprint speed and all that stuff, the last one that they had was infield defense. We didn't really know, uh, from StatCast at least, about infield defense. And and this one, it, it's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, they did uh, a very good job. I, I Yeah, I from what I've seen, and like I said, I haven't dove in a lot, but I, I'm impressed with what they've done. I, I like you know, even more than the outfield defense, I think they did a better job yeah. with that. And I, I know that just from talking to Petriello and Tango a little bit, you know, they said it was very difficult. This was kind of, you mentioned it. This is why it was the last piece because it wasn't an easy thing to put together. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, they make it like they explain it very easily, but yeah, the, the, to take in account all, all the different moving parts must've been incredibly difficult, but basically, yeah, the idea is they just judge, they judge, players based on where they start how far they have to go uh how far from the bag they are when they get there and then uh how fast the runner is if they have to make a force play so they do all that and then basically if it's like a hundred percent or say it's a 90 percent chance of making it and they they make it they get like that point one yeah. for completing it and then that just adds up over time or if they don't make it they lose point one so it it all adds up and it, one of the the coolest things i thought they did uh, was they they do it by position, but they sort of treat position two different ways. So they, they do it by batting order position and also position where you are in the field. So you might be playing shortstop, but you could be on either side of second base. So they were 
just for for example, they had uh, Nico Goodrum, who the Tigers have decided to to make their regular shortstop, which is something some of us were were saying, hey, they should do that last year. Hmm. He was uh, six runs or six outs above average last year overall. No, what was he? Was he eight overall? Eight overall. Two at second base, six at shortstop, and minus one. It was three at second base, six at shortstop, minus one at first base. Um, but when you, you dig in a little bit deeper, one of the three he got at second base was actually to the left of the bag. So he was playing shortstop. So by his positioning, he was seven outs above average as a shortstop. So it, it, it it's really kind of cool the way you can drill it down and look at it. And it should be fun keeping track of throughout the course of the year to see who's, uh, you know, who's doing what. I'm excited about it. As a nerd, and, and, and you're right; they do explain it very well. If you go to the link, will be on the podcast description and explain it to even the charts. I got a lot of uh, the charts. Was looking at the difference. For example, they're looking at how Rafael Devers has totally improved himself from 2018 to 2019, and just kind of breaking it down. So, for anybody out there, yeah, and they do it by direction, yeah, and, and distance, and all that stuff. It's it's really complex, yeah, and comprehensive, yeah, and also like for yeah, Nico Groom is among top ten in shortstops. And so when he starts, was it in lateral towards third, lateral towards first base, back, and then he even breaks it down by right-handed bats and left-handed bats. So it is pretty cool once you get used to reading everything. And so if you're an Excel guy, you can organize it, or Excel person, I should say, make things a lot easier. So <laughs> yeah, but either way, that that is a good stat to have out there. And talk about adding to the board. Chip wants to yeah. add some to the board somehow. So. Yeah, it'll be good for our inside the numbers segments. Of the show. Oh yeah, yeah, we'll have plenty of those. Right. And that, uh, yeah, negative three outs above average. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, no. In moving on to the course, the the story that I wanted to get to. There was a couple things that wanted to get to that evolve away for the White Sox. The, the lawsuit that I don't know if you saw this or not, Casey. I, I sent this story to Chris earlier. The lawsuit okay. involved the Yankeesville prospect saying that Derek Jeter ruined his career. Did you see this, Casey? No. So I'll, I'll oh send. My God. Yeah, I'm gonna send you the link real quick, and I'll DM you here in a second so you can take a look, and I'll set it up for you. But it is one of the most strangest stories I've read in a long time, and it, I, I don't worry about good Chris, but I, the I, I describe it's one of those things that is both hilarious and like somewhat disturbing at the same time. Like, like you're pretty sure this guy has some serious mental issues. Yeah, but essentially, essentially, he sued the Yankees, uh, claiming that he was a 27th round pick or something like that. But he did get a, a, a big bonus. He just wasn't very good minor league baseball, and he 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 sued the Yankees, claiming that Derek Jeter, uh, that like the Yankees conspired with Derek Jeter to to keep him down in the minors. <laughs> Garrison, and, and yeah, like, Garrison uh, last last year, yeah, Lassiter, Lassiter, yeah. He used a he used a um, always sunny in Philadelphia Charlie like defense case because he first of all he defended himself but then he used letters newspaper clippings and the scouting reports to weave a strange tale so i i i have the meme of charlie when he's working in the mail room the episode of always yeah. sunny where he's winning like he's putting it together and that's how he's coming he's like guys so this is what happened and, and it's Derek Jeter's right in the middle of this whole diagram and i think that's what the visual i have so yeah well and, and he also he also was like a football player and he was suing uh he sued like a ton of people. He sued the Reds. He was suing the yeah. Carolina Panthers, and there was the the thing that struck out or stuck out to me the most. And I don't know if you, do you have the article in front of you, Roger. Yeah, yes, I do. 
there was he sent a letter to John Daniels of the Rangers, and the quote from him that he sent to him was just ridiculous. And I don't know, like he called him like uh, I don't know, it's, it's tough out here for me, bad boy, or something like that. I was like, what the hell? Yeah, so they don't have that Don Daniels quote in here. I'm trying to look for it here. Oh, they, they have the so they have the. He sued the Reds for one point six three five or one point six million dollars on December thirtieth, which is the equivalency of three years of a major league salary. And here's okay, here's what it says too. In all caps, I can't get on the field due to the New York Yankees trying to control my career. And he wrote that on all caps. I'm the only baseball player that will stand up to the New York Yankees. He added the final page of the document, which was filed in the U.S. District Court in the Middle District of North Carolina. So he was, was eleven. Yeah, he was. Let's see, he was part of a. <laughs> find it. Uh, yeah, I found it. Uh, you, you can continue. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Oh, um, <laughs> I love this part too. Not everyone shares last year's belief that the Yankees were holding him back. Sometimes he wasn't very good at baseball. Offensively, he was okay," said Aaron Ledesma, who managed uh, last year at Low A Charleston in 2011. He was below average, not much power. Didn't really hit for high average. Speed wise, he was below average. And, 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 continue, and like these, these guys continue to bash him too. Yeah. Lesma added, while last year was a nice, quote, nice kid, he wasn't high on the Yankees' playing time priority list. So, yeah, and they talk about his being a two place, uh, two, or two star athlete too. And uh, what was the other part? Oh, yeah, here's the other part too. Um, and 2016 letter to then player development head. Gary Dem, Dem, uh, Gary DeBito last year complains the Yankees moved him off shortstop, didn't play him enough, and gave him undeserved demotions. <laughs> yeah. Another former Yankee official had an easier explanation: things didn't work out," said Mark Newman. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the, the quote I was talking about, I uh, said in the Hail Mary letter to Texas Rangers general manager John Daniels in January 2018, Lasseter wrote, "Quote." I'll never play for the New York Yankees, a team that doesn't understand the importance of giving respect to the players that help the organization win. These are the facts, big dog. Wow. D-A-W-G. Uh. These are the facts, big dog. Uh. I kind of want that on a shirt. I want that. You know what? We can put it on a shirt and we can sell it on our website. There we go. These are the facts, big These dog. Fa- <laughs> Tigers Minor League Report. These are the facts, big dog. I want it. That's a shirt. Shirt it up. All right, I'm writing but, that uh, right now. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's clearly this dude. He, he's either some sort of like viral genius, or he's got some serious issues. And, and I, unfortunately, I think it's the latter. Yeah, same. Yeah. No, yeah, but that, yeah, that was uh, moving on to other things. Give my shot. I'm, I'm actually putting that in show notes. So if everybody's listening on Spotify or iTunes, it is now part of the show notes. But uh, no, and and even so, getting to big dogs and goats of all time. The Jeopardy Championships have been going on the last couple of days. How do you like that segue right there? That was, that was damn classy. It works, yeah. Um, so the last, damn classy. So Casey and I, and I know, I talked to Chris a little bit beforehand, but I know Casey was talking about this on Twitter, The his team and James. But there's a fun fact about Casey and James, and they're tied together. <laughs> Casey, want to want to explain to the audience your, your story behind knowing the greatest, in your opinion, the greatest Jeopardy player of all time. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I don't know, I don't know if I'd go that far. Yeah, I, we can get into to why I love Ken Jennings, and uh, you know, Ken Jennings obviously has the lead right now. I think he can win and should win. And um, no, I, no, I'm rooting for Ken, uh, believe it or not. But I do have some personal ties to James Hallsauer. 
Uh, he probably has no idea who I am, but um, I believe uh, we we definitely had a cross paths at the University of Illinois. We I believe he was two years behind me, uh, like uh, Roger mentioned, at, in the math program at U of I. Um, so I, I'm sure we had classes together. I you know when I, I I saw him the first time when I like yeah when I when he came on Jeopardy and was in his huge run this summer. Uh, the first time I, I turned it on to see what the whole hubbub was about, um, I was like, whoa, yeah, I definitely recognize that guy. How do I know that guy? And then I looked into his bio and saw he went to U of I. And then also he grew up in Naperville. I grew up in Aurora, which is the city next to Naperville. Uh, he went to Naperville North, which is you know, somewhat of a rival to the high school that I went to. Um, and, and so I got a bunch of friends that went to high school with him and definitely know him through there. So yeah, that was a cool neat tie, and you know, uh, I you know even you know on Chicago news every night, uh, there's a watch party every night watching this <laughs> this tournament uh, in Naperville, rooting him on. Uh, I have I have not attended said parties, but uh, no, yeah, uh, and it's nothing I guess personal against James, but Ken Jennings. I mean, Ken Jennings brings me back to my college days. His run was uh, I want to say it was like a sophomore junior. At U of I, and uh, we would watch every single day, uh, like 12 of us in my fraternity. I mean, it was appointment television, and watching him win day in, day out, uh, that was some great, great times. And I I enjoyed that run so, so much. So I've always been a big fan of Ken Jennings. I had a buddy of mine in broadcasting school that looked exactly like – he was saying it's Ken Connors. He looked like Ken Jennings. He would hate with people because <laughs> he would more like – Kind of like sucker suits, and kind of like they always was wearing a shirt and tie in broadcasting school. So it's a class at nine o'clock in the morning, and Ken always came. You tell me, he's like, Roger, you got dressed apart. You got dressed apart. If you're gonna be on radio, you got dressed apart. So he even had like a serious demeanor, like Ken Connors did. And he's like, I'm not, you know, like, oh, I'm not like him at all. But it was, it was just funny. But no, I've been thoroughly enjoyed it. I like the format too. I like the, the the two games in the first half hour. And then two games in the second. Oh yeah, half. that's a really cool format. And I hope that that's something that they could do again for even some of the tournament stuff. I, I the one thing about Jeopardy, I, I've watched it periodically all my life. The the one gentleman from New York, the curly haired guy that was on last year, I didn't like that guy at all. The the bartender guy, the bartender. Yep. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that dude. That guy, that guy was annoying me. I don't know why he annoyed me so much, but he just seemed like, oh, I'm being different yeah, because what was, I'm being ironic. What was his specialty. Just beat it. Doofball, I don't know, man. Like, I, I don't care for. Him. I, don't, I don't like. He was really, really neurotic. But he, there's something about it. I just, it just seemed like he was doing it really in an ironic way. It wasn't funny to me. I don't know. I can't remember the guy's name either. But I'd say he like broke the fourth wall more than like any contestant in Jeopardy history, and was trying to be a comic more than any. You know, that show. You know, yeah, I've been watching my whole life too, and everyone was kind of. Everyone's always. You know, I, I don't even say they're all, they're always serious, but I, you know everyone's always uh, nervous probably when they're on their show. So no one's really, uh, you know, laid back. And, and that guy was in the other direction to yeah uh, the nth degree. Yeah, I mean, there's here's a clip of Ken Jennings having a sense of humor. This is back a while back. Tool time for two hundred. This term for a long-handled gardening tool can also mean an immoral pleasure seeker. Ken, what's a hoe? No. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Oh man, the Ken uh, the Ken Jennings ho yeah. They teach you that in school in Utah, huh? Yeah, they did. <laughs> and Alex with the comment with they teach you that in school in Utah. 
Uh, but anyways, yeah, it's good when they have that like that. I, I kind of like when they do have a personality. No, this tournament's been wonderful to watch. I, you know, I, 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 obviously they're so freaking intelligent, and James is like a robot. I mean, he just knows. It seems like he knows the most, but I, I think Ken's just uh, Ken. Clearly, I, I said this on the first day. You know, you could tell on his face that he really wants to win this tournament. Like he he he's in it to win it, where the other two guys I think are just in it to have fun. Um, but but Ken wants to win it, so it's cool that he's winning as well for that reason. Yeah, and the la- the first game was tied by what two hundred points or less overall. Ken barely won that first game, and the second game, Jamestown dominated. It was, it was it's been very good watching Brad. Brad's I think the all time moneyest winning money leader of all time, and Brad's just out there like yeah yeah but like I'm so this is for me he's just relaxing. He just looks the most relaxed out of all the three. So you're right, but James is it's. It is astonishing just watch him go through their strategy of starting from the bottom up, stuff that I don't even mm-hmm. think about. And so, and I don't call it Sporkle live tribute any type of level these guys are at. So sometimes when we have a we have a perfect round, we're like, yeah. And then we realize like watching them name Russian czars and all that. It's like <laughs> forget about it. Like, you know, yeah. yeah the, the decades when the uh, what was it the, when the tutors took over? Like oh, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was, that, that's right. yeah, that category was impossible. I was like, the decade? I could barely name the century those things happened. Or even the gold, the one with yeah. the, the Goldbergs, like in quotations, that one was a that was well, pretty some, hard too. Yeah, well some of them were gold and some of them were Bergs. It was You know, even the college football, they had one sports category, I believe, on the, all three nights, and it yeah. was college yeah. football. That college football Steve category. Larger was, question. Yeah. I, I have no idea where Steve Largen went to college. I mean, now I do, but I had no idea before. Yeah. No, and I didn't know the name of the goat that was the Navy net mascot either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was that was. Yeah, they're not messing around. No, and I, I love to see like them have like a. Uh, the, the funny part is like the Willy Wonka one. No one knew it. They all like what? Like right? Yeah. They all drew a blank on it. That cracked me up. That was my favorite one. But I would love to see. I want to see Sports Shepherd again. I know Dan Patrick hosted it for a while. Would love to do like love to have that out and see that again. That'd be kind of a cool one to have, especially from a baseball standpoint. It's on. Uh, I don't know if you guys have uh, Amazon Alexas, but you can play it on that, and I do uh, often. It's it's pretty fun. Oh really? Oh, that's good. Yeah, to know. yeah. I have to, have to check that out. My my friends stopped playing with me because they would. Uh, the only time they would have a chance if it was a figure skating question, and I outside the occasional Sonic Bayule and. The French skater, um, drawing <laughs> a blank from the nineties. Uh, uh, she was on an ESPN three for three recently. I can't think of her name. Um, uh, a French skater from yeah, the nineties. Yeah, she was. She was. She was a Afro- woman. Yeah, yeah, woman. She was. Uh, she was. She was. Uh, was she the woman who did the flips? Yeah, she did the flips. Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot her name. Yeah, she's from originally from Kenya, and they were, she was adopted by French. Sonia, mm-hmm. I can't think of her name right now. But anyways. Uh, yeah. Outside of Osonic Bayul, her and Nancy Kerrigan question, maybe, and then uh, Christy Amaguchi and Penny Peggy Fleming, and Scott oh, Hamilton. Oh. That's the only figure figure seeing I know. But Scott yeah, but I busted those out. But uh, anyways, Casey. So what do you what do you got up before we get you out of here? What do you got coming up? Do you have anything? Just you're, you're, I know you're saying you're kind of a free agent right now. Is there any kind of writing prospects on the way or? <laughs> So actually, uh, I guess I, I'll break the news here. Uh, I joined futuresocks.com, um, 
and my first article, I believe, is going to go up on Tuesday. Uh, that's a Sox, pro- a White Sox prospect site. So entering your Ooh, guys' awesome. area, Sweet. Uh, and co- the reason why I did it is because, and I, I, I wrote this in my introduction piece. Basically, was like, I've never had prospect knowledge because the White Sox have never had farm systems worth watching. Uh, <laughs> you know, throughout my entire life, you know, up till that rebuild. That happened in 16, you know, the White Sox were never about farm systems. It was about, you know, getting free agents, making trades, and just kind of always being somewhere in the mix of contending. Um, so, uh, you know, the rebuild got me, obviously, a little bit more excited about minors. And then, the, uh, you know, I got approached by, you know, the, the, the guys at the site, and, and they asked me if I, I wanted to come aboard. And I thought that was a, a good opportunity because it's just uh, an area that I'm certainly weak in um, as far as, you know, prospects all across MLB. So, uh, you know, I figured it, it was a good opportunity to do that as well. Um, and I am in the beginning of some talks on doing possibly a solo, which I'm a little worried about, a solo podcast on the White Sox this season. Um, I do have an offer in the works. So uh, I'm... I'm planning on getting back in the game, boys. Good man, nice, That's good. No, awesome. Man. It's good to hear that, especially because we always have a lot of fun. You're on. We really enjoy it every time, and, and yeah, I'm glad you're on our side of the woods for the minor leagues. And the only time I can think of the White Sox in terms of a prospect standpoint that I can remember growing up was, I guess, for myself when they had a really a bunch of young talent was the mid '90s teams, and I say that because. Yeah. I think of Alex Fernandez, Jack McDowell. I think of Robert Ventura. I think of those 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 mid '90s teams because I mean the Tigers at that time. I mean the Tigers didn't really join the AL uh, Central till '98, '99. We can think of years between those two years. But watching the White Sox from afar and seeing all that young town that came up and just the, the whole the, the Sox had just even with like the, the, as much as they scuffled. A little bit without really cashing in, I still felt that they, in terms of like a, from a prospect perspective too, like with Frank Thomas. Meanwhile, the Tigers were like, eh, you know, we'll, we'll put a picture out there, you know, John Dory or Felipe Lira, and it's like, who the, who the hell are these guys? And then the White Sox were able to had something out there that, like, I know Krista, you and I, I watched a lot more mid nineties Tigers baseball than you did, but it was it was still one of those t- things to me. Growing up, I just remember the White Sox, for whatever reason, in terms of just teams that, like, uh, they weren't on the Cleveland Indians level in terms of, like, producing, te- like, uh, talent, like, on that kind of side of things. But, I don't know. I, that, those mid-90s White Sox teams come to mind for me, Casey. Yes, and you're stealing words from my article, actually, because I oh, wrote sorry. that, you know, when I when I became a baseball fan, when I, you know, the first team I remember is... The 1993 White Sox, that's like the first team I remember following as a nine-year-old. And, um, yeah, it was all those guys, you know, Ventura, Thomas, McDowell, Fernandez. Uh, they had, it was like three consecutive first-round picks all become, you know, huge hits. I believe it, yeah, it was it was Thomas, Ventura, and Fernandez. Um, and then it was nothing for a long time and you know uh then there was like creedy and rowan but even those guys had short careers obviously they won the world series but uh and then since then it's really only been on the pitching side and it's sale and rodan but um there hasn't been a lot but and, and i guess even this rebuild has kind of been 
created by trades. You know, Mankata and Jimenez, none of these guys have come technically through the system. They weren't draft picks or anything, but still, at least they were uh, grown here. Yeah, and what I remember, too, about that those mid-90s, too, was uh, Jason Beret and Wilson Alvarez, only because they both... Every time the White Sox came to town, too, like, just, like, they... It looked, with the all black uniforms was intimidating to me, but it was that that, that ninety three rotation. What was it? Uh, McDowell, Fernandez, Alvarez, Burre, and then I think I want to say like it was like some oh. throwaway was in there. But I used to before I knew Aaron Seeley was he around? I don't know, maybe maybe it was Tim Belcher. Was, I don't know. Maybe Belcher was on that rotation. I can't remember off the top of Belcher my head. Was, Jim Abbott was there. Yeah, and then uh, oh, wow. the the ghost of David Steb Steve was on that rotation. Like he, oh, Dave Steve. Dave Steve was on there. Uh, and I remember before I knew him. David Wells for a year. Oh, I didn't remember that at all. Wow. Um, I remember the they had tight- Bartolo Colon twice. The the uh, Bobby Thigpen. That was that was when before. The, the, I remember. The, saves. The, the, yeah, that was where. Like you know, what's funny about Bobby Thigpen. My confession is before I knew anything better about stats. That one year where he had, I think it was fifty-seven saves, and yep. then I looked at his numbers later in my life. I'm like, whoa, eh, that's a lot of empty calories. Yeah, he was yeah, I mean, fifty-seven yeah. saves, and I mean, in terms of what his numbers are, I mean, he didn't, he only, you know, save percentage was eighty-seven percent, but still, but either way, those are things I remember of those mid-nineties White Sox teams, and so there's a lot. Yeah, you're right. There's so many White Sox got so much international talent that's just in the system that I'm sure you're, you're going to get a lot of excitement about too, and they're going to go out to some games too. That's the plan. Uh, you know, it, it's been sparse the last couple of years just because, uh, you know, I've had babies and everything. Uh, um, but, you know, I did take my four-year-old to her first game last year, and I'm just hoping to take her to a, a lot more and having that excuse to at least, you know, my wife can, uh, you know, accept me leaving the house for a game if I'm taking at least one kid with me, right? So um, th- that's the plan. You know, I want to get out there a ton because – like I mentioned on the opening, I am super, super excited to watch this team um, game in, game out because they finally put it all together, and the you know the rebuild's over, and they're ready to contend. We didn't really get into the division, but you know I think it's totally there for the taking. Um, I think the Twins will come down a peg, and the White Sox certainly will go up a peg. So hopefully, uh, you know, it, it, it's probably going to be a fight, and I, I'll include the Indians as well all, all season long. But I, I like the White Sox chances. All right, Chris, any last comments before we get out of here? No, not really. I, I was going to talk a little bit about White Sox pitching prospects in the early 2000s, but who cares? Oh, come so, on. Give me, give me a few real quick. No. Uh, well, I so the Tigers have had uh, five top 100 pitching prospects over the last three years, and I was just kind of curious so I, if how common that is, so I did a, some research. turns out it's very common, like 25% of the time it happens. But uh, – I was looking back, so I went back to 2000, and, and here's some names from the White Sox in the early 2000s. Kip Wells, mm-hmm. John Garland. John Garland oh, yeah. had a solid career. Aaron yes. Mayette, never heard of him. John Roch, or Rock, or whatever. You know, he was... Uh, Roush, yeah. Yeah, Roush, not good. Pitch for the Twins, too. 6'10", I believe. Yeah. Still the tallest yeah. pitcher ever to pitch in, in MLB. Uh, I thought Chris yeah, Young, I I thought so. Chris, wasn't Chris Young, or no? I think he was about the same height. It's one of those things where, like, yeah, they're probably the same height. Yeah, I don't know a... if there's been somebody who's 6'11 yet. Um, Matt Ginter, Dan Wright, Corin Malone, Chris Honell. So, wow. Yeah. I, th- 
Lance Broadway is the name that I always remember. Who, by the way, I was doing a little bit of a project on kind of, yeah, the 90s White Sox. And so Lance Broadway was a first-round pick who had a lot of hype. Um, starting pitcher, I obviously, since you guys probably don't remember him, he never amounted to anything. But when I was looking at and I Googled him, he has an IMDb credit. He's He's been in like a couple TV shows now and movies and stuff. So at least he, uh, you know, he used that name. Yeah, he used that name yeah. to his advantage and at least got a career. Working on that, he got. <laughs> you know, it's funny, real quick, real quick Jack McDowell story. My my older brother, for some strange reason, got him and Alexi Lalas mixed up. And I'm like, how the hell did you get that? He's like, it was the goatee. It was the goatee. Yeah, it was like, and then I looked at him, like, you know, all right, that, that that's fair. Okay. I mean, not yeah, like. Random white dude with a goatee. That's works, <laughs> I think. So. But, uh, yeah, so look forward to follow Casey on Twitter. Um, it's uh, Casey underscore Bosaw. Is that correct? I got that up in my head. I do not have an underscore. It's all, oh, all, all one word. word. Okay, okay. What, all one word. Sorry. So, yeah, it's all one word. You can find him on Twitter. Uh, we'll be tagging him on our post. If you're interested, there's some great stuff coming out on his end. So congratulations on uh, getting back in the podcast game. And so looking forward to – Talking to you again soon and uh, talking some shop once again and talking some, uh, some double-A, triple-A talent that's going to be coming out here soon. Absolutely, guys. Thanks so much for having me, having me and uh, Happy New Year, and I'm ready to get spring training just around the corner. Happy New Year to you as well.